0: In the name of God, Most Merciful, Ever Merciful, and may God's peace and blessings be upon His Holy Prophet Muhammad and the purified members of his household and progeny. Allahumma salli ala Muhammad wa ali Muhammad Brothers, sisters, respected viewers, Assalamu alaikum jamiaan wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. And thank you for joining us once again in our life series. These lectures in which we try to study and extract principles to live Islamically in this complex world directly from the verses of the Holy Quran and the sayings of the Holy Prophet and the members of al Bayt, peace and blessings upon them all. As you will remember, the first theme that we began the series with is the theme of intellect and knowledge in Islam. And we said that after looking at the importance and necessity of knowledge and intellect in Islam, that the alternative is uh, not really an alternative. It's not acceptable. And the alternative to that is foolishness and ignorance. And we saw beyond you know, what reason says about it. We saw what Islam has to say about foolishness and ignorance. And therefore we saw that those are not an option for us. And so therefore we come back to knowledge and intellect to see where do we begin and what do we need to do. And we saw that Islam says there are two conditions that have to be met for knowledge to be considered Islamic knowledge. The first of these conditions has to do with our intentions, how good intentions are. What is the intent behind my acquiring the knowledge? Once I have the knowledge, what do I want to do with it? And so we spent a little bit of time. We had what we can consider to be a mini-series on the topic of intention or more specifically sincerity of intent in Islam. And that's the first condition for knowledge in Islam to be Islamic. The second condition is what we call the action or more uh, you know m- uh, more elaborately explained in more detail, we said that knowledge has to be transformational. The idea in Islam is that once you have knowledge, you have to act upon it, and for this to happen, this is supposed to happen naturally. but for this to happen naturally is that you allow this knowledge to affect you or you acquire the type of knowledge that affects you, and this is going to show once it affects you internally, it's going to show in the manner in which you conduct yourself. It's going to show in your behavior. And that's why we say that action is therefore the second condition for knowledge to be Islamic. If you have knowledge and it it does not lead to this transformation, if it does not translate into some sort of action, then that knowledge is not really Islamic knowledge, regardless of the type of information that it may be. It may seem that it is Islamic knowledge because it It's related to Islam, it's related to the Qur'an, it's related to the history of Ahad al-Bayt, it's related to, uh, you know, aqa'id or akhlaq, for instance. But if it is not leading to a change in behavior, an improvement in behavior, a remembrance of God or whatever else it may be that it's supposed to be meant for, then that knowledge is not really Islamic knowledge. It's just an accumulation of information and it's stopping there. And so those become the two conditions, wa alaykum as wa rahmatullah. Those, as we said, are the two conditions for knowledge to be Islamic. That there is a sincerity of intent, first and foremost, and secondly, that that knowledge is going to be uh, leading to action or it's going to be transformational. And so now we started to look a little bit more at the second theme. What does it mean when we say that knowledge must lead to action? And what are the first steps on this road of knowledge leading to action? The first step that we want to take related to knowledge specifically is that we must become learners. And so this journey of knowledge becoming action begins with us seeking knowledge and becoming learners in the Islamic sense. What does Islam say about becoming a learner or being a learner in Islam? And so we began with that First, we talked a little bit about the necessity or the importance of becoming a learner in Islam. And inshallah, we'll have more to say about it in the uh, upcoming lectures. And at the same time, we looked at the danger of acting in Islam without knowledge. So action without knowledge can be useless and it can even become dangerous or harmful. You don't know what you're doing, thinking that you're doing something good. And there we went through the verses of the Qur'an and the narrations about all of this. The next topic is meant to be, and so this is what we began, and inshallah we're going to keep moving in this way. There's a number of very practical teachings in Islam that have to do with once you are a learner, how to be an effective learner. And this is what we began, and we're in this process of going through them. We said each one of these could become its own lecture or series of lectures, but we're going through them very quickly just to pinpoint them, just to identify these ingredients of becoming an effective learner in Islam. And inshallah, the next topic after that is going to be more technically or more specifically, the manners of the learner. And of course, of this whole topic, as we said, uh, as part of knowledge becoming action we are beginning the topic with the learner as a logical first step and chronologically it should also be the first step it should it will be followed and it should be followed by therefore once you have the knowledge what what happens what does that mean so now you carry the knowledge we usually refer to this person as now the scholar and or the person who carries that knowledge so The same discussion is going to be repeated, but now, what does Islam say about the person who now carries the knowledge? What are the merits? What are the manners? What are the duties and responsibilities? And so on and so forth. From there, inshallah, we will move to the third piece. The idea is that we move all of this towards creating a community where you have learners, You have teachers, you have people benefiting from this knowledge, so you have a group of people who understand the importance, the value of knowledge, who consume the knowledge, who share the knowledge and spread it, who use the knowledge, and eventually who generate their own knowledge as they need because every community is going to have its own specific needs, right? If you have this as a very healthy cycle, this is when you have a community of learners, a community of learning or learning community, which inshallah we will show is definitely one of the aims in our religion, that a community is built on this notion that there is value given to knowledge in the sense that we described, in the Islamic sense, and that there is a constant use, consumption, and production of knowledge within each one of these communities. So inshallah, we're going towards that. So in terms of the ingredients that we started to look at, to come back where we had stopped, we started, as we said, talking about some of the ingredients that lead to being an effective knowledge seeker, an effective learner in Islam. Okay, And of course, these can be generalized beyond seeking Islamic knowledge to all type of knowledge, but we're specifically now talking about seeking Islamic knowledge, or knowledge in the Islamic sense. So we talked about the importance of dedication, understanding that this is something very valuable, and therefore you are willing to put in the effort, the work, to acquire that knowledge. We talked about the importance of deeper understanding. So... We should never be satisfied with a superficial understanding of whatever we're learning this is not islamic to learn the quran simply at stay at let's say the recitation level you have to go beyond that to see what is the deeper meaning you learn a hadith you learn about historical events whatever you may be learning you have to go to the deeper layer to the deeper level and see what does this mean what does this mean for me what else may be hidden what should I be a reflect on? How do I carry this into my life? How does this apply to me as a person? How does this apply to us as a community? And so on and so forth. We talked about serious study and everything that that means, including, for instance, the regularity, the consistency with which we do this. You don't expect real knowledge to happen simply because you were exposed to a topic once in a blue moon, right? Or you heard a little clip about it, or you heard... Uh, at some point a lecture or you read an article about it that's not enough to generate knowledge it requires a constant study and so on and so forth so we talked about uh, this as well and we talked about the importance of what we called in, in the hadith it was referred to as mushafaha. we called it a direct apprenticeship you have to have a direct access to someone who carries that knowledge someone who can answer the questions someone who can Hopefully, beyond just the knowledge, personify some of the principles, some of the teachings that you are acquiring. Knowledge does not stay only at the level of just the data, the information. Knowledge has to be translated into human action. What does that look like when a, a person carries that type of knowledge? What does it look like? Do they actually become the role model that I'm looking for? maybe in one field or two fields. No one is going to be a perfect specimen in every dimension. But at least you have access to someone who brings you closer to what that knowledge is supposed to mean beyond just the information and even the information itself. We talked at length about how if you simply want to rely on books or a one-way reception of information, you you might listen to lectures, for instance, you're still going to be constantly exposed to ideas and you're never validating them those ideas are coming one way so you're going to interpret those ideas in your own way based on where you come from your background your understanding it may be valid or not you may understand it fully or partially or not at all where are you going to validate all of this and this is where that community is important and access to someone who can validate becomes important Okay, So we talked, inshallah, about all of this uh, sufficiently. Now we're going to talk about a number of character traits. Okay, And as we said, all of these, we're just touching on them very quickly. Otherwise, we would spend a very long time on this. And we're supposed to cover this very quickly before we move on to the next topic. So inshallah, today we'll continue with these. So I'll just mention a few of them very quickly. The importance of being someone who is open and accepting of the truth. That's one. And we're going to look at the ahadith related to all of these. The importance of humility and modesty for the sake of knowledge. Okay, we're going to come back to this topic more specifically later. But now, just looking at it for the sake of knowledge, for the sake of learning, for the sake of the value, the honor that our religion gives to knowledge, the place of knowledge, the modesty that should go with it. The importance of asking. Having a culture where it is okay to ask and being encouraged to ask and ask more, constantly ask questions so that you learn and others learn from your asking and so on and so forth. The importance of patience, perseverance. There is a mention in some ahadith about notions such as flattery and envy. So we're going to see a couple of those related to knowledge. The importance of writing to acquire and to solidify the knowledge that you have acquired. The importance of time management and the importance of the early part of the day in Islam. Uh, Eating and comfort and how it is related to knowledge. And the last one is the importance of youth and seizing the opportunity of youth. So inshallah, these are the remaining ingredients that we're going to go through. We'll see how much time we have today. That's what we're trying to cover inshallah once we're done then we'll move to the next topic, which is the manners of learning. So as we said, the first ingredient we're looking at is the acceptance of the truth. In the last topic, the last time that we met, it was a while back, we were talking about, as we said, the importance of having access to someone. Right? We said this mushafaha, this direct apprenticeship, this ability to speak directly to someone who can answer my questions, I can discuss some matters with. If you don't have that in in general, you don't have access to someone like that, or specifically about a certain topic, you may have access to such a person for one topic but not another, or at one time but not another time. Okay, This is where we have to default to now this set of teachings, which is your being open to the truth. Okay, if I know that the truth is in one place, I can go to that place and I get that truth. But sometimes, in fact, most times, especially in today's world, there are many, many sources of information. Many, many sources of what may be the truth or not. We're not sure. So what's the attitude, what's the approach of the knowledge seeker in a world like today's? Do you simply close the door to all of it? Do you stay open to all of it? Or is it somewhere in the middle? If you know that there are people or there are sources of information that are the truth, great. Those are going to be the secure, guaranteed sources that you can rely on. But for sure in today's world, you're not going to have that for anything in full. This is going to be a partial source of knowledge. And there's always more. So what do we do about that more? Islam says, you're supposed to be someone who is always seeking the truth. Regardless of where you find it. And we're going to see the hadith. The first, of course there's a number of, I always say, I'm trying to not spend too much time on the verses of the Holy Quran, as that would require very lengthy discussions in a lot of cases. But very quickly there are verses, for instance, in Surah Al-Zumar. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He says, والذين الطاغوت, that's the beginning of that verse والذين أن يعبدوها وأنابوا إلى الله لهم البشرة okay فبشر عباد الذين يستمعون القول فيتبعون أحسن أولئك الذين هداهم الله وأولئك الباب subhanahu wa Ta'ala says those who shun the worship of transgression if we wanna translate it literally they shun the worship of transgression. A ta'goot could be the transgression or it can be the person who re- s- symbolizes transgression. It could be the tyrant, for instance. That's a ta'goot. Or it could be what they're doing, the action, the transgression itself. The Holy Quran uses it in this ambiguous way. Those who avoid, who stay away from worshipping transgression. No human being would ever admit to being a worshipper of transgression. But this is the wording that the Holy Quran uses. What are you worshipping? Who are you really worshipping? Right. So the Quran says, Those who shun the worship of transgression and who turn to God. It says, So announce the good news to my servants. Okay, that's the first part. Then it continues... And see how the ending of that sentence is going to give a very clear meaning, a very clear direction to what the Qur'an is talking about. Because this could have stopped there. And we would think it's about the worship and Tawheed and not Shirk. And maybe there's even a societal, political dimension. The Qur'an says, Those who listen to the word then follow the best of it or the most beautiful of it. So those servants who have shunned transgression, are the word, the ones who turn toward Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And now the Qur'an describes who these people are. They are the ones who once they listen to the word, we'll talk about what the word means, once they listen to the word, they follow that which is best of it. The best version of it. The most beautiful version of it or interpretation of it those are the ones whom Allah has guided and those are the ones endowed with intellect with understanding there's a lot we could say here very very quickly the when the Quran says those who listen to the word and then they follow the best of it of course of course the clearest Meaning of the word is the Holy Quran. But beyond the Holy Quran, it is any speech. Any speech is the word. They These are people who when they listen to something, when they hear something, they always go for the best version of it. Especially when it is to follow. It means to act on. What do I act on? I act on the best possible interpretation of what I'm hearing. This is a description of these people. And when we look at what the Holy Quran says, it's very few words, but it's incredible how Allah spoke about these people. First, they were honored. It may not look like an honor, but if you read it carefully, Allah just referred to these people as my servants. There's no greater honor for a human being than to have Allah testify that you are his servant. You've reached that level. You've received that honor. You are accomplishing the purpose for which you were created. So Allah subhanahu ta'ala says, so give glad tidings to my servants. So which ones? What's the description of those servants? So that's one. Allah subhanahu ta'ala says, give them glad tidings, good news. And then he says, the alternative to turning toward God and to being of those people is to be a worshipper of transgression it's a worshipper of atarut these are the two options given in these verses there's nothing else there's nothing in the middle either you are worshipper of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and therefore you are of those who when you hear the word you follow the best of it or you follow you fall into the other category which is to some degree it may be partial but you are still falling in the other category of you're worshipping the Taghut in all of its forms, in all of its interpretations, in all of its applications. Okay? And then the Quran says, it says two things about these people. It says, first of all, those people are the ones that Allah has guided. We're all asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala constantly for guidance. How many times do we pray in the day and we say, إهدنا الصِّرَاطَ الْمُسْتَقِيمِ We want this hidayah. We want this guidance. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is now testifying again for these people. Those people are guided. They've reached that guidance that we're all always seeking. So if you can match this description of following the best of the word, then first, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, you are of those who are guided. One. And two, And that's the whole theme of our series. Those are the people, wa ula'ika hum ulul albab. And it is they who are those who possess intellects. It is they who possess understanding. And this formulation in Arabic, wa ula'ika hum, that means exclusively. It is those people, and no one else, it is those people who have the intellect. So, All of this description, why? Who does it apply to, as the verse says? To those who once they listen to the word, they follow the best of it. I'm not satisfied with being average. There is good, and then there is better, and then there is the best. And those people are the ones who are always aiming for, and they go for the best. They don't accept mediocre, they don't accept average. They don't even accept better. Ahsana. They accept only the best, the highest standard. If you're able to fall in this category of people, to have this verse apply to you that when you listen to something and you see, okay, so here I have options, there's layers, do I fall in the category of it's done, you know, halfway, but it's I can say it can be considered done. Okay, it's done. Or it's done and done well. Or it's done in the best possible way that I can do it. If you can fall in this last category, then you've fallen in this description of the verse. And then everything else that we just said would apply to you. Okay, so this is one verse where we said, you are open to the truth. Which truth? This is one description given by the Holy Quran. There are people who listen to all sorts of things. They learn all sorts of things. Which ones do they select? And which ones do they translate into action? The best. Okay, that's one description. And the second description, and we spent a, a little bit of time on this verse already, so I'm not going to spend too much time on it, just as a quick reminder. We had a verse of the Holy Qur'an that we looked at that said O you who believe stand for God and be of those who are witnesses to truth or witnesses to justice and do not let the hatred of a people lead you away from being just. Be just, the Quran says. Be just, that is nearer to piety. And fear God, indeed God is aware of all that you do. So this is in the action, at the action level. You have the knowledge, but you might think, well, you know, why would I be just? Why would I be truthful? Why would I be fair to a group of people who, they're not showing that kind of fairness towards me, that kind of equity towards me. Equality, whatever other values that fall under truth and justice, the Holy Quran says it does not matter how they're treating you. <inaudible> Do not let the hatred of those other people deter you from being followers of truth. You're a Muslim, you're a follower of truth. You accept the truth, in fact, you accept the best version of the truth. And even when others are not treating you with the truth, you remain steadfast. Witnesses to God stand for God and witnesses to truth. You can testify that you are always followers of the truth. Okay, so that goes both ways. In yes, in this second verse, of course the importance is more on how you act, but of course it also means how you receive. And here we're talking about being open to the truth. This is when you are a learner, a seeker of knowledge. Okay? So these are some verses of the Qur'an that talk about this. There's a hadith from Imam al-Rada alayhi salam. He reports this from the Holy Prophet wasallam, in which he says, غريبتان So two strange matters or two strange words. Okay? كلمة حكمة من سفيه I'll repeat it in English. Let me say it in Arabic. كَلِمَةُ حِكْمَةٍ مِنْ سَفِيهٍ فَقْبَلُوهَا So Imam R.A.S. says that the Holy Prophet has said these are two strange pieces of wisdom for you to learn. The first one, when you encounter... A word of wisdom from a foolish man, accept it. And when you encounter a word of foolishness from a wise man, forgive it. For there is no wise man who will not stumble or will not trip. And there is no foolish man who has no experience, no valuable experience in life. And this is related to the same topic if we want to limit ourselves, if we want to say that I'm only exclusively going to take my knowledge from one source and that source is my only valid source, today do we have access to that infallible source? No. And here the Holy Prophet is saying, no matter how wise, that wise man may stumble one day, may trip, may slip accidentally, may make a mistake, forgive the mistake because that person is still a wise man. So we forgive those. But we don't accept them, we recognize that there's a mistake that happened there. And on the other side, a lot of fools out there. The Holy Prophet says, and you encounter a fool, but you see something good in that fool that you can learn from, something valuable that you can benefit from. You reject it because that person is a fool? No. It's still something beneficial. And that's why the Holy Prophet says, and there is no foolish man who has no experience. That person is a foolish man, but he has some good experience. He went through, through, through something beneficial. He's sharing it. Take that knowledge. Benefit from that experience. And this is in line with the idea that as a seeker of knowledge in Islam, you're always open. In fact, you're not just open to the truth wherever you may find it. You're constantly seeking it, and we're going to see that. You're actively seeking it wherever you may encounter it. It's not passive. You're not just sitting there and things are just happening to you. You know, things are are coming your way and some of it... No, you're actually seeking actively the knowledge, the wisdom, the experience that could be beneficial. And here we have a very good example. A lot of it is not going to be good. A lot of it is going to be foolishness. You have to filter through all of that. But it means that you're constantly seeking it. And you have to have the ability to filter through it and say, this is good, I take, this is beneficial, and this is not. I focus more on what am I receiving more than where it's coming from. And we're going to see that clearly stated in some ahadith. Does that mean that we take whatever from wherever it comes? Of course not. And that's why we said this is all when we have to default to not being sure the type of source that we have. When you are sure that the type of source is, for instance, 100% or close to that representing, for instance, the Holy Qur'an, Islamic teachings, great. In a lot of cases, I would say in most cases, we don't have that guarantee. So what do we do? Do we close the door? We shut the door to all knowledge. We say it's impossible to learn, therefore... That's it, I learn nothing or I learn from a very selective source. No, our religion says you go the opposite way. You screen a lot in and then you filter through it. You're constantly seeking wisdom, constantly seeking experience, you're constantly seeking knowledge. From the Holy Prophet he says, الحكمة يأخذها حيث وجدها This is a series of very closely related hadith all of them in this now uh, in this vein which we have just described that basically you're not just passively waiting for knowledge to come your way and then you're going to decide you're actually actively seeking it this is the matter the holy prophet says this is the matter which is the purpose or the aim or the dhala the dhala this is the word that the arabs used at that time when you have a very valuable animal like a very valuable camel, for instance, that is extremely useful to you, a very valuable horse that is extremely useful to you, and it's gone missing. And usually that would happen a lot. And when that happens, this person now has a balla. So this person has one mission, to find that animal. They may leave from the tribe, from the family, for days, weeks, looking for that animal. Especially if the animal goes towards the desert or open land, Where no one has found it. So they go looking for it. That's someone who has a bal. So this is constantly used in the narrations from Ahlul Bayt alayhi from the Holy Prophet. They say the dhala of the believer. It's like you've lost something really valuable. What state would you be in? The people who are listening to these words from Ahlul Bayt, they know exactly the state of the person who's lost their camel. That one important camel that I have. My state is, I drop everything and I go looking for that animal. Most likely my survival depends on it. Right? So this is the expression that is used here in the Holy Prophet and we'll see from Ahlul Bayt salam. So the Holy Prophet says, الحكمة Wisdom is this lost camel. Or, you know, more, uh, in a more proper way, we would say this is the the ambition, this is the purpose, this is the aim of the believer. He will take it wherever he encounters it. You go after it, you're constantly looking for it. Okay, the second hadith is going to go further than this. And these are hadith, they're related and I always do this. I go from the simpler one and then we build on it. The next hadith from Imam Ali alayhi salam, who narrates this from the Holy Prophet. He says the Holy Prophet وآله, has said, كلمة Hikmati ضالة mumin Imam Ali Al-Salam says, The Holy Prophet has said, The word of wisdom, or so wisdom in general, is the purpose of the believer. Wherever he encounters it, and this is the key, he is more worthy of it. So here it's not just that this is your aim and your purpose and you have to go after it. Here there's a duty wherever there is knowledge, wherever there is wisdom, there is a beneficial piece of knowledge out there, the person who is most worthy of carrying it is the believer. You should be in a race with everyone else, looking for these beneficial pieces of knowledge, of wisdom, and being the one who carries them. You are more worthy of them than anyone else. Or to flip it, we would say, these pieces of knowledge and wisdom, they have a right over you. That you be the one who carries them. You be the one who finds them, who works hard to get to them. Okay? The next hadith from Imam Ali alayhi salam. Again, Al-Hikmatu Al-Mu'min al Hikmah Min Nifaq Imam Ali alayhi salam says, Wisdom is the purpose of the believer. Again, then here he says a different wording. So accept wisdom, even if it is from the people of hypocrisy, even from the hypocrites. Those who know Islam, those who know what's in the Holy Quran, there is pretty much nothing as bad in the description, in the categories of people as al-munafiqeen. As the Holy Quran says, they are in the lowest, deepest layer of hell. As the Holy Quran says, Mm -hmm. The worst of God's punishment is reserved to those people who are completely two-faced. Right? So keep that in mind. And then we come to Imam Ali who says, Accept the wisdom even if it is from the hypocrites. Your job is to find that wisdom, to find the beneficial knowledge. Seek it out and take it. And don't reject it just because it's coming from the hypocrite. Even if it is the hypocrite. And we're going to see another description. Again, so Imam is, he cannot use stronger words here to get people to go after the knowledge, after the wisdom. Imam Ali alayhi salam says in another hadith, So this is a series of what seemingly may look like three different pieces of advice that only Imam Ali alayhi salam can put together in this way as usual, with his typical eloquence. He says, الْهَيْبَةُ خَيْبَةُ We'll explain them very quickly. الْهَيْبَةُ خَيْبَةُ وَالْفُرْصَةُ خُلْسَةُ وَالْحِكْمَةُ ضَالَّةُ الْمُؤْمِنُ Again, the same wording. فَطْلُبُوهَا وَلَوْ عِنْدَ الْمُشْرِكِ تَكُونُ أَحَقَّ بِهَا وَأَهْلَهَا so the first part he says al-haybatu khaybah What is al-haybatu khaybah Haybah can be uh, translated as uh, reverence very deep respect for something right something has haybah you consider it great you consider it honored you consider it majestic So what is it going to engender Imam Ali salam says al-haybatu khaybah al is when you fail. Failure. So literally he is saying reverence is failure. What does that mean? He's saying that if you revere something, if you stand and look at something and you start considering that something so great and so majestic and so difficult and so important, whatever it may be, you can apply it to a person, you can apply it to a thing, you can apply it to an objective. If you start considering that person too great, that thing too great, then it's going to lead to failure. You will not have the confidence, the ability to tackle it, to speak to that person, to deal with that person, that group, that community, that issue, in the proper way. Because you revere it. Because you fear it. Right? So reverence is failure or leads to failure. Don't exaggerate in your reverence, in the respect that you give to something. It has to be worthy of that respect. Otherwise, if you need something, if it's a person, if it's an issue, if it's a topic, if it's a group of people you're dealing with, give them their proper size, not more and not less. And then he says, وَالْفُرْصَةُ khulsa." Khulsa here, that's the, the key once again. Khulsa is when you basically steal something, you take something quickly in hiding. He says, fursa," so opportunity, is like a quick theft. It's like something you steal very quickly. That's how we have to view opportunities. The ability to do it is temporary. It's quick. You have to be smart in how you do it. Just like as though you were stealing something. Okay? You have to steal the opportunity. Okay? khulsa khulsa, And then he says, We come back to the same wording. And wisdom is the purpose, is that lost camel, is the purpose of the believer. فَطُلُبُوهَا So seek it, even if it is, found with the pagan, with the polytheist, with the mushrik. Then he says, the reason why, biha wa Why? Because you are more worthy of it, and deserving of it. Again, the same idea that we saw in the previous hadith. And of course, here, we could spend some time, but I'm trying to go a little bit faster, we could spend some time to try to come up with the common thread. These, as I said, they look like completely three different pieces of wisdom, pieces of advice from Imam Ali alayhi salam. So why would he put them together in this way? It means that there is a common thread. When the Imam alayhi salam is talking about the opportunity and what it is and how to deal with it, and he's talking about not to revere something in an exaggerated way, and when he's talking about how you're supposed to seek out wisdom, no matter where you find it, and with whom you find it, there's a common thread here. The common thread is that don't have misconceptions, intentionally or not, knowingly or not, that are going to lead you to miss out on something really beneficial to you. Right? These are three pieces of advice about the same thing. You give too much importance to a thing, you won't be able to deal with it. That's one. A second one, the opportunity may pass, but it's going to be quick. You better be ready to act to steal that opportunity. Otherwise, you're going to miss it. And third, you may miss out on wisdom and you may miss out on knowledge because you're going to tell yourself, oh, but that knowledge is only coming from so-and-so, from a source that I don't consider valid. Well, you may miss out on a lot of knowledge and wisdom because of this. Right, So all of it can be brought back to this common thread that puts these ideas together. And then this hadith from Imam Al-Kadhim alayhi salam to Hisham, this is part of a very long hadith, inshallah one day we can talk about it much more. In there he says, Imam Al-Kadhim alayhi salam is telling Hisham, know that, a, the word of wisdom is the dala, is this lost camel, is the purpose of the believer. فَعَلَيْكُمْ بِالْعِلْمِ قَبْلَ <يُرْفَعَة> Therefore, the imam says, therefore, seek out knowledge before it is removed from you, taken away from you. And then the imam says, he explains what that means. He says, وَرَفْعُهُ so, what does it mean that the knowledge is lifted or removed from you? The Imam says, وَرَفْعُهُ غَيْبَةُ عَالِمِكُمْ بَيْنَ أظهركم. And the removal of that knowledge is the absence of your scholar from amongst you. That's when knowledge is lifted. Knowledge is personified in a person, and that person is a scholar. Inshallah, later we can talk much more about what Ahlul Bayt السلام, mean when they say scholar. Okay? We'll talk about that. We need to. Here, there's easily three definitions that we can give. One definition is very generic. The imam is saying that knowledge is personified in a person. Make sure that you seek out that person and get everything you can out of them because that knowledge will be lifted once that person is absent. That's literally what the imam is saying. But when the imam says, وَرَفْعُهُ And the removal of knowledge is the absence of your scholar from amongst you. Specifically, the imam could be talking about himself at that time. He's telling them, use my knowledge and benefit from my knowledge so long as I'm among you. Because there will be a time when I will no longer be here. And therefore you will miss out on the knowledge that I and only I carry. That's Imam Al-Kadhim speaking specifically about himself or Ahlul Bayt in general, right? They are the perfect example of the scholar. They are the irreplaceable one. Other scholars may come and go. And you may still be able to find some way to get to their knowledge because they're fallible human beings. But if the scholar is a member of Ahlul Bayt, then that knowledge is lifted forever. That's it. Right, So these are different layers to understanding this hadith and many like it. The next hadith from Imam Ali alayhi salam, he says, خذ الحكمة The Imam here, the same idea but in a little bit more detail, the Imam is basically saying take knowledge from wherever it comes to you, for wisdom may be in the heart of the hypocrite so it keeps shaking he says, it's like unstable, it sits there in the heart of the hypocrite but it sits there in an unstable way and it keeps shaking in there حَتَّى تَخْرُجْ فَتَسْكُنْ until it exits that heart of the hypocrite and inhabits the heart of the believer along with its sisters, along with its companions from the other pieces of knowledge and wisdom. Again, this is the idea that you are more worthy of it; that it has a right over you. Okay. Another hadith from Imam Ali alayhi salam. And I think this one is the one that brings it all together, insha'Allah, very clearly, from Imam Ali alayhi salam. He says, "Accept knowledge or wisdom," and this is very important. That all of these hadith. Because sometimes we make a very clear distinction between what is wisdom and what is knowledge. But here you can see that they're used interchangeably. Okay, here the imam says, وَانْظُرْ إِلَى مَا قَالُ وَلَا تَنْظُرْ إِلَى مَنْ قَالُ Okay, so take knowledge or accept wisdom, he says, from the one who comes to you with it. And focus on or look at what is said and do not look at who is saying it? Don't focus so much on the person saying it. Focus on what is being said. Is this correct? Is this truth? Is this beneficial? I need that. I take it. And I am more worthy of it. I'm supposed to be the one who knows this. I'm supposed to be the one who does something good with it. Okay? So I have to seek it out myself. I'm just looking at the time. So maybe this is... A good place to to stop but at least let's wrap this uh, this topic up so this idea that we have to be open to wisdom and to knowledge wherever it may come from clearly in today's world and I think when since since the use and since the popularity of social media over the past few years we can see this huge explosion emergence of gurus, and technical experts and people who have all sorts of advice about anything and everything that anyone could be thinking about so that's on one side and culturally there's also a drive and it has become extremely extremely popular for everyone to be kind of working constantly on self-improvement and being self-made and we know if we add the islamic component That we certainly should be of those people, constantly looking for self-improvement and trying to be a better version of ourselves, as is very popular to say. When we look at the type of ahadith that we just looked at, someone may just look at those. And today, as I try to make clear every time, this is an extension of or a continuation of a topic we began earlier. And we emphasized, before talking about this, we emphasized the importance of association with a scholar, of apprenticeship with a scholar, a direct contact with a scholar. Why? Because initially, you're supposed to build that foundation enough of a foundation that you consider to be valid and unshakable and considered to be the truth. This is the part that should not really be too negotiable. So that when you go out there in the world, as we said, you have to default to these general principles, of course I have to be open. Of course I will seek knowledge and experience and wisdom wherever I may find it. But if I don't have that foundation at first, how am I going to be filtering all of this? and deciding this is beneficial and this is not and this is truth and this is not this is good this is not i have to have some sort of foundation first that allows me to once i'm exposed to these gurus and this knowledge and this wisdom that's being imparted and shared to actually be able to filter through it and say this is knowledge and this is wisdom and this is beneficial and that is not Regardless of where it's coming from. Regardless of who is saying it. But I need a foundation. And I would add that this is generally speaking, any good Muslim should be thinking this way. We would add to that, we are followers of Ahlul Bayt. Before I go and expose myself to everything the world has to share with me, Do I know what Bayt have said about a topic? Do I know their teachings? Do I know what's in the Holy Qur'an? Do I know what's in the teachings of the Holy Prophet? If I don't know anything about that, of course once I'm going to expose myself to all of these gurus and all of this wisdom and all of this knowledge, of course I'm going to be influenced by it. Of course I'm going to be affected by it. I'm empty. And I'm seeking this. I have a need for this. I have a thirst, a hunger for this type of information and someone is presenting it to me. Most likely in a very intelligent, a very eloquent, very effective way. Of course it's going to affect me. Of course it's going to influence me greatly, deeply. So if I don't have any foundation and I've just jumped into all of this, am I ready? Do I have some sort of validation that this is truth and this is not? This is, of course, by the way, how we began this whole series some 30, some lectures ago. This is what we're trying to do. We said the world is a very complex place now. And even when we look at within our own Islamic culture, there's a huge divergence of opinions about a whole lot of stuff. It's a complex world constantly requiring complex thinking. You constantly need new ways of looking at things, to see what we know, does it apply, does it not apply. In a lot of cases, the issue is not even what I know, does it apply or not. In fact, I know nothing about it. I would not be able to list, for instance, the verses of the Holy Qur'an that refer to a specific theme. I would not be able to give you three, four, five a hadith from the Holy Prophet or Ahlul Bayt, wassalam, about a topic. Right? So I don't have the Islamic knowledge, the core Islamic knowledge. And then, of course, beyond that, after I know this, I can add the opinions and interpretations of scholars to that to see how this has been applied. Today, in today's world, in most communities, and for most of us, all of that is missing. But what is happening is the need, the thirst, the hunger for. The knowledge is there, so we are going out there and seeking those gurus and those experts and those specialists on all of these topics. And then we come back and we put some sort of Islamic spin on things. A nice word here, a keyword there, and suddenly we have packaged it as though it is now Islamic knowledge, Islamic culture, and we can present it. And so anyone who has been following along from the beginning would understand that this is not what Islam wants from us. It wants us to be open, to seek out actively knowledge wherever we may find it, for sure. But as we explained before, you have to have some sort of guarantee, some sort of validation that this is knowledge. That it meets, that it matches the criteria that Islam wants. That it says, once you have this type of information, this type can be considered Islamic because you can check off a few conditions, and that type of knowledge is not because you can't check off those conditions. And the surest and the best way to do that for us is go back to Ahlul Bayt, go back to the Holy Prophet, go back to the Quran, see what it says about. Any topic, understand, and we've been talking about this from the beginning, a first layer of that knowledge is we know the specifics. We have verses of the Holy Quran, we have narrations from Ahlul Bayt, that talk specifically about certain issues. And they give us a specific answer. That's great, that's easy. And sometimes we don't have the specifics And those are perhaps much more important in today's world. We have the general principles. Whether it's in the Holy Quran or whether it's in the narrations. Do I know enough of the general principles that I can apply them? And I know how to prioritize them. Which of the general principles applies here first? First one or second one or third one? And once I know this, then as we've been talking from the beginning the importance of the deeper understanding. What are the layers, the hidden layers that require more reflecting, that require more discussions? Personal, I have to sit and reflect and think, and then force those discussions in groups. This is when we learn a lot more by seeing what others have done with this piece of knowledge. How far have they gone? How have they seen the issue? How far have they been able to apply it? And then the final piece, and this is inshallah what we're trying to do throughout this series, is the connections. To show this holistic view that Islam has. You can't talk about any topic in isolation of all the others. They're all connected. The more you understand the topics and the layers behind every topic, the more you're able to start seeing the connections between them. The more you start understanding that what is happening at the social level is being impacted by what's happening at the financial level and it has a direct impact on what's happening on your soul, spiritually Right? But this requires a maturity in thinking and it requires a depth of knowledge of these foundations So if you go out there and you expose yourself to all these types of gurus and knowledge and wisdom that is out there much of it is amazing, much of it is valid But the question is, do we have the tools? Are we equipped to validate, to filter through it and say, this is good, this matches our criteria, and this doesn't, and here are the reasons why. Okay, so we leave it at that. Inshallah, this part is clear so that we can keep building on this. We'll continue with these character traits. We have a few more to cover. Inshallah, the rest should go a lot faster, and then we can jump into the manners of the learner. I think we have about maybe seven, eight minutes before prayer. So if there are questions, concerns, very quickly, we can maybe cover a couple of them before the prayer. Nothing? Uh, maybe you're going to cover this in your next lecture you mentioned it uh, about the uh, practice of getting up or seeking knowledge early in the morning yeah. in the early part of the night. I think we've all heard this before and we know a little bit about it if you can expand as much as you can yes, okay so the question if uh, for those who are online uh, the topic of Um, Seeking knowledge early in the day Uh, So inshallah we're going to have I think a couple of hadith on it So we're definitely going to cover it directly So very quickly for now um, We do have Very specific instructions Directly from the Holy Prophet And from some imams that talk about this Um, And In a lot of cases This is mentioned in general In our communities Not necessarily related to Uh, The seeking of knowledge. They just say whatever you want to do, whatever is important, do it earlier in the day and so on and so forth. We will see that the hadith actually refers directly to the seeking of knowledge. Of course it may be generalized to other aspects, to other things that are important. But the hadith itself from the Holy Prophet has to do with seeking of knowledge early in the day or the earliest possible for those are the people who are blessed. The Holy Prophet says, I've asked Allah taala to bless my nation. So be of those who are blessed and seek knowledge early in the day. That's what the hadith says. Okay, so the importance of early rising, for sure. But in the narration specifically, it's mentioning the seeking of knowledge. So there, that's something important to discuss in itself. And of course, if we go back to the lives and, and the teachings and the advice of the, the scholars throughout the ages, this has been a staple. And anyone who knows you know, how Islamic teaching is done in the seminaries and the hawzat, wherever Islamic teaching is dispensed, you see that it starts directly after the Fajr prayer. You finish your morning prayer and you begin with your lessons first thing in the morning. So they definitely follow this piece of advice practically. It's definitely followed. And there are reasons for this, and we can talk about it, that you're still fresh. And this is when new information is going to be absorbed better for most people early in the day before you have to deal with the daily routine, okay, and everything else that has to come in. But the other part of it, so there's a practical component for This is beneficial for knowledge itself. The part that is not talked about here, and I was going to link it, but we're not talking about it today, so I'll just mention it for now when we talk about it inshallah next time. The importance of this for organizing our time. The importance of this for adding time to our day. Everybody is always complaining that we don't have enough time. Well, when do you wake up? When does your day start? If it's 9 and 10, you have an issue. If it's noon, you have a bigger issue. Right now, if you go to your prayer application, you're going to see that it's going to say that prayer today, I think, is around at 3.10, right? 3.11, 3.9, depending on a.m. If you want to follow a very Islamic program of living, you probably should wake up some 20, 30 minutes before that time, perform some sort of tahajjud, you recite a little bit of Qur'an, you perform a prayer before your morning prayer, then you perform your morning prayer And you start your day. That's when your day should start, with the morning prayer. Okay? Does this mean that you stay up for, you know, well, it depends. To be able to wake up at 3, you probably had to sleep a lot earlier than midnight or 1, or even 11.30 or 10. Right now, prayer is going to be around 9.10, so it's pretty late. So someone who wants to apply this type of Islamic schedule, Islamic program, you probably have to have some sort of nap during the day to be fully functional this way. Okay? So for most people, either you go back to sleep after doing this, or if you start your day, and a lot of people do, by the way, you could start your day and go back to sleep a little bit later in the day. But imagine how productive you would be. Let's say from three till about 7-8 when the majority of people are starting their day. Imagine the quiet time that you have and how productive you can be, how much reading you can get done, those who want to work out, those who have special projects, those who want to do writing, learning, thinking. Imagine the time that you have if you wanted to fully use that time. Okay, This is how the Islamic day is set up. You're supposed to wake up a little bit earlier, and that's the importance of the tahajjud. Of course, it has a huge spiritual component, but it also has a component of making you as productive as possible, as effective as possible with your time management. You wake up before anyone else is up. And this is a calm time. The majority of people don't wake up when it's still dark, but you do because you're a good Muslim. So spiritually... You're benefiting a lot more than when you wake up and you're not even, the sun is up or not. That's it, it's light. It's no longer Fajr, it's the morning. You're not really fully benefiting from the Fajr when you do that. Fajr is still dark. You see a glimpse of light, a glitter of light. So it's just enough to start your day. Slowly, in peace, no craziness of your daily routine, and you start. And you have your little program, and you do whatever you need to do, and you set in your day a time to nap so that you catch up on this and you're not exhausted. And I assure you, if you actually follow this program, you won't be exhausted. You'll be invigorated and energized the entire day if you wake up a lot earlier and you do what you wanted to do. And you'll feel good because you're accomplishing and you're productive. Find a time in the day to nap, and then the rest should fall in place. Because this means that it forces you to, when are you eating? When are you going to sleep? And when do you wake up to start doing the things that you want to do? If you actually follow this, you'll see how much more productive you can be and how it forces you to organize your time. And this is why I've, in the past I've talked about, you know, there's a, a reason why our religion has says there are five times to pray in the day. Or three, if you want to combine your prayers, But there's a reason why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has put that Isha' prayer at that time and that Fajr prayer at that time. And you're supposed to organize your life around these times. These are supposed to be the times when you pause from the craziness of the day to reconnect with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and then you go back. If you fail to see that, you're missing out on a huge opportunity, right? This is the normal Islamic way of managing your day. Now, of course, if you're going to live in extremes, in poles, in the earth, this is not going to apply, right? This is not your average 16 to 18 hour day and the rest night. It's going to be longer or much shorter and so on and so forth. You have to find ways around that. So inshallah, we'll talk more about that. But I think the the points I wanted to cover for this hadith, and inshallah, we'll talk about it uh, specifically. The first one has to do with the importance of understanding that once we apply the knowledge-seeking early in the day, we understand how much more time we have in the day and how it forces us to reorganize or plan our day accordingly. Because if I'm going to wake up at 3 or even at 5, whenever it may be, if I'm waking up early to do a little bit of knowledge, 20-30 minutes of knowledge-seeking every day, that's still 3-4 hours a week. That accumulates very quickly if you actually do it daily. We're going to see that I'm forced to sleep at a certain time. And I can't eat whatever I want whenever I want because I won't be feeling that good. right? So there's a whole domino effect once this is applied properly. But inshallah, we'll talk a little bit more about that. So inshallah, you, you'll you'll give us a, <laughs> a little bit of time to get to it. Inshallah, next week. Sounds good? Thank you very much. Excellent question. Okay, so I think it's prayer time. Sallallahu alaihi Sayyidina Muhammadin wa ala alihi al-tayyibin